0: Thanks Catherine and team and John for pastoring us into the Lord's presence. or greater awareness of His presence is our common prayer. We know He's here. That's His promise to us. It's the, the early church experienced His presence in a, in a powerful way. And so we just want to continue to pray and with that mindset, recognize that He's there's nowhere we can go from His Spirit, from His presence. The promise of Psalm 139. So, Lord, help us become more aware of your presence. Help us sense and learn to hear your voice. Those are the kinds of prayers that we need to be praying and have been and will continue. Well, three weeks ago, I preached from this passage. But who can remember anything from that long ago? So let's go at it again. I mean, with holidays and everything else, my brain's mostly mush. Maybe you can resonate with that. This passage, though, warrants it. In fact, whole books have been written on these six verses. Countless sermons have been preached. Churches have been structured on these six verses. And for Union Hill Church, this passage has been exceedingly influential in shaping our core convictions in harmony with the broader Alliance family. So for the first Sunday of a new year, it feels timely to at least be casting vision, extending invitation. And so we'll do that, again, from a slightly different angle than I took three weeks ago. There's really good reason that we have, that all churches have, the local church, over the last two millennia, to use and see and Acts to a blueprint, a picture of a healthy church. First, we know that the Holy Spirit has come upon them and is working in them. And then we see verse 47, that final word of the chapter. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we know that Jesus is affirming them as a, a healthy place for His new shoots, new life to grow and to take root like a greenhouse environment. And we are the ones who are commissioned as His witnesses, disciples of Christ. We are commissioned. The Holy Spirit does the work of, of conviction, the heart level work. That's not our job. Our job is to go and to make known, to sow seeds. The Holy Spirit does the work. Jesus is the one that truly saves and then plants, from our language here, plants the new shoots in a greenhouse-like environment that they would grow deep roots to hopefully produce diverse fruit. So that's the vision and the picture. Really, we've been using that for over a year now. And it's strongly influenced from right here in this chapter, in these verses And I think it's worth coming at it from that angle. We see a healthy, growing, fruit-bearing, seed-sowing church. And if that's our vision, I I believe we are becoming that. I, I don't think we'll ever be able to say we have become that. There's always a need to grow. But I hope we are becoming more and more like a greenhouse church. John hinted at this, probably unknowingly, but you realize in a biblical and historical context, we are living between the gardens. We are living between two gardens. Most of us are aware of probably that first garden, the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1. God creates a perfect environment, a perfect place. All is good for His, His creation, those made in His image, to live and to dwell, to work, to multiply and to be with Him. We know that's fractured. We are living between the gardens because the promise in Revelation 2 is of a second garden. God restores the garden, this time within the context of a city. The picture in Revelation 2 is is a city with a multitude of people, with the King on the throne, the Lamb on the throne. And there's a river that runs through this city. And on on both sides of the river are, are trees, trees of life, producing, it says, Twelve kinds of fruit. We know that image, and that that number twelve is representative of much in Scripture. That's a different sermon, but the trees of life that have we we all will be there, having access again to the tree of life, which was originally broken and, and marred. We now God is now restoring that garden picture, that diverse fruit picture. So we are living between the gardens, and I think with that kind of imagery in mind our world is a harsh environment. The soil is hard and rocky. There's thorns. There's thistles. It seems like everywhere we we turn. We long for the renewal, for life, for the river of life, for the tree of life. And so in between the gardens, the picture of the greenhouse is powerful. We need a greenhouse to grow deep roots to be prepared for that rocky harsh soil as God is sending and planting us and so that's become like a vision a picture for us if the mission could be defined as helping all peoples find new life in Christ and grow to bear fruit for him just one way of saying the same mission that God's people have always been called to to extend the gospel, to work for the kingdom, to make disciples, to help them grow up into Christ, to be fruitful and multiply in all ways. So this is one way of saying that mission that we share with all the bodies of Christ, that, the one true body, but all the local bodies of Christ throughout history and throughout space. The vision that emerges for us in harmony with our broader alliance, by the way, this isn't my vision, this is one that I, um, with permission, uh, borrowed the greenhouse picture. That we would be a thriving community, that we would, as a greenhouse, help people grow deep roots, that they would become field ready wherever God is planting. Many of you, God has moved, and I would say has planted in new fields, and that's kind of the story of of your life. Just when you think you're developing those roots, you're uprooted, and He moves you again. Others, and you would be the rare ones, have rooted and been rooted for decades, one place. And you never know what the next season has to hold. Some of us are entering into a new season, and it's marked by all sorts of uh, different markers from movement of, of job or even career to a new addition to our family, to the movement of a new home or community. There's lots of things that mark new seasons and change and planting. And so that image and that vision goes forward that we believe that if God is entrusting to us as He did in the early church, His new shoots or those that are coming newly to an area and be planted in, that we would help grow because God is likely to move again and to send, to scatter you know, as a kid, did you ever have the dandelion puffs and you just try not to breathe in first? I made that mistake a couple times. It's fun to now watch my kids make the same mistake. You don't laugh too much, but it is it is good. If you can sneak up just in time as they're ready to blow and then you blow into their face, it's just a beautiful picture. But so the scatter, the scattering, now this is... This is a weed, I suppose, so the analogy is probably not great. But the picture of the scattering, God seems to just move and scatter and there's potential of a forest in the smallest seed, an orchard in a single apple, and a field of weeds, I guess, in the dandelion. God will likely move and blow upon us and scatter us. So how can we help grow in the time that we have, in the season that we have, to prepare and equip for the next season. Because that field that He may be sending us to, if you think the one you're planted in is hard, it could be harder. It could be harsher. And with some signs in our world, it's not hard to imagine that for some of us. The other part of that vision is that we would pray and prepare for and hope for a hundredfold harvest. We have a Lord of the harvest. Though He's the one that multiplies. Thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. That's His will. It's what He's always been about. So we're praying for, hoping for, preparing for, why do we say a hundred years? That's really to honor the hundred year history of God's people gathering right here in this location. Recognizing that we stand on shoulders. Longing for the work that God would want to do to last far beyond any one of us. Knowing that His work is bigger than any one of us. Or even all of us. So a vision that doesn't say, oh, we've got plenty of time, but says to accomplish, to continue to accomplish that same work of multiplication. We recognize, God, make something last far beyond me, even beyond the next generation. Are we about that kind of work? That becomes the vision and the picture. The early church saw really so much more than even a hundredfold harvest. In one night on Pentecost, they saw a 25-fold harvest. From 120 to 3,120. And they continued to grow day by day. Men, women, children getting saved day by day. And God adding to their number. So they're seeing that multiplication harvest that Jesus had promised about. And so our prayer, Lord, You've done it before. With around 100 people gathered in a small room, seeking You in worship, waiting upon You. You came you moved, and you multiplied. And so Lord, do it again. In the same heart. With the same desire. So we enter into that, that place, that space, and then with that vision. And the Spirit came upon them, and who did they become? That's the question I posed three weeks ago. We can't first look at what they did. It's very critical, that difference. Who did they become? Who were they in Christ. Because not that they didn't do anything, they did much. But what they did was a result that flowed from who they were in Christ. If we look at Acts 2.42-47 and we make a list of all the things that they did, our propensity, I know mine, is to then try to measure myself up against the list and look for ways to fulfill that list. Anyone want to admit you like lists? Check boxes. Your, your favorite part is just checking that box. You'll put things on that list that you've already done because you, and you forgot to put them on the list just so you can check the box, right? Alright, so we've got a few. We can have the propensity to measure against a list, not against Christ and the upward call of growing up in Him in every way. So first, with the right order, who did they become? Who are we in Christ when the Spirit dwells in us? Then we can look at at what they did. But there's a very uh, distinct difference. I'll get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. I'll say this. What we believe, maybe this is a way to capture that, that thought. What we believe defines who we are and what we value. Our values will determine what we do. How we live. See that order? Our beliefs, what we believe, our faith, defines who we are. It's who we become. It's our identity. Then our values, what we then value because of those beliefs, determines what we do. We can't work the other way around. So what does a healthy, growing, fruit-bearing, seed-sowing church look like? It must be full of healthy, growing, fruit-bearing, seed-sowing, disciples of Jesus. That's all of you. The walls, the building means nothing. The church has gathered outside of the, the building and outside of walls and in all sorts of various places throughout its history. A greenhouse with no living plants in it is dead and lifeless. May as well just be a shed. Which would make all of us Tools. I digress. Do you have a clear picture of what a healthy disciple looks like? Could you give a confident answer to that question? How do you know that you are a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ? Certainly there's lots of ways to answer that. But I know that churches and pastors, even ordained ones, and even the whole denominations have struggled or failed completely to define what that looks like. You could simply just hand someone this book and you would get there. How clear is that? How clear is the picture? And so with the language that is emerging for us, this growing, fruit-bearing, planting, greenhouse kind of language, I give you four things, which certainly flow into much more, but four things that maybe we could remember. And I think we'll see all four in the early church. These people were planted, they were growing, they were bearing fruit, and they were sowing. Let's walk through that. Now, whole sermon's Could be, have been preached on each one of these. And Deo Valente will be preached again. So just a a quick overview that maybe gives us something to grab onto. And it's a good question. Am I this? Am I a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ? They were planted in community, the early church. They were knowing one another and being known. They were loving and pursuing one another. And I'll I'll highlight our core convictions. We have ten. This is not a list to remember, but they fit within all of these. The core conviction that we have, and we share with the Alliance all of these, that we need one another. We need one another. Being planted in community is because we need one another, and we see that, and I'll highlight that by reading again this passage, taking out a few pieces in order to highlight the need for one another that they were committed to. The planted community. Commitment that they had in community. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. To breaking of bread. And all who believed were together and had all in common. And day by day they attended the temple together. And breaking bread in one another's homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Look at that commitment to one another. That consistent commitment. Gathering. They were consistently together. See, God has always been drawing to Himself a people, a nation, a kingdom, a body, a body with many parts, a family. And so it's not just that we are better together, that there's wisdom in numbers, that we can do more or go further together and not alone. It's that we actually need one another. It's what we've been created for. Back to that first garden picture. God creates, He speaks, He creates, He speaks day after day. And there's only one thing at the end, after He has breathed life into Adam, there's only one thing that He says, and all that He's created is not good. Everything else is good. In fact, when He made Adam, He said it's very good. He said there's one thing that's not good. It is not good that man would be alone. This aloneness is not good. See, it's not the heart, it's not the character of God Himself. He is one, three in one. He has has perfect community and communion and fellowship within Himself. And so He creates in His image a people with the souls within us that need one another. We need communion. We need community. It's what we've been made for in His image. And the early church seemed to grasp that. See, day by day they are together. It's, it's amazing. It's almost, it's almost like they have come to like each other, not just love each other. Jesus commands that we love. He lives through us to enable that love, and so we, we can love even our enemies. Because His love is that great. We sang about it this morning. Now, to come to like one another is a whole different thing. And that, in some ways, is often harder. We enjoy one another's company. But they were radically committed to being together. And when Luke says they committed themselves to the breaking of bread, certainly they shared a more formal communion-type meal. Jesus had told them to do that. But in this context, I believe what he's referring to primarily is they ate together. They share actually shared meals together. Many of you will connect and don't even have lunch plans yet, and you'll find a place, and lo- you'll gather there because, you, one, you need to eat or enjoy food, and you want to be with one another. You don't want to just go home and pop something in the microwave. You enjoy the communion and the fellowship and the friendship of one another. And it seems this early church actually came to do that. And as they came together, they were unhurried. How important is that? To be unhurried, unrushed when we have such a culture of of fast food, of on the move, of of making food secondary. Their meal, as they came around a table, and there can be various kinds of tables, they came around a table unhurried, broke bread, ate together, and the midst of their conversation was constantly about what God was doing in their midst. Giving testimony, giving witness to God's mighty work. That's the picture of a life group. That's ultimately what we've modeled our life groups around. Consistently coming together in some regular rhythm around a table to break bread and to give testimony of God's work in our lives. In in and through that, the encouragement and the hope that is built one to another. They were planted in community. Number two, they were growing not just in number, but in Jesus. Deep roots of faith were developing and growing because of God's amazing and incredible love and pursuit of them. They are loving and pursuing Him. Here's three more of our core convictions. God's glory is our joy. It's not really meant to be an order to those, but we put that one at the top saying that's a good one to be at the top. God's glory is our joy. To all things, We give Him glory. We worship Him. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. God's glory is our joy. Knowing and living God's Word is vital. It's life. It's vital. All things must be by prayer. There are three more convictions and we see them right here. So I'll read again this passage with those as highlights. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And day by day they attended the temple court together. They broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. See, they are clearly devoted to worship, to God's word, which was taught by the apostles, and to prayer. Those three convictions are captured right here. And really, the literal translation, I said I would, I hinted at this, that I would, I think it's subtle, but I think it's important. The literal translation of this phrase is not, and they devoted themselves to, as the ESV has here, but it's literally, they were devoted to. Here's a picture of these early disciples. They were devoted to these things. They were. It's who they were. It's, it's a character. It's an identity of who they now were in Christ. And yet, that, it didn't mean just because they, they were this in Christ, that Christ dwelt with them, that the Spirit was upon them, it didn't mean that they were done growing. The life of a follower of Christ is always one of growth. We are never done growing. Just like an apple tree would start from that small little seed and would grow with a, a new shoot, it might be years before it bears any kind of fruit or is strong enough to do so, but it is nonetheless an apple tree from the beginning. I think it's it, it might be worth saying this. I wrote it in my margins this morning. A healthy disciple of Jesus may not yet be a mature one. It should, should be obvious, but they will be growing. So let's not only help and encourage one another to growth. Let's also be patient with one another. Let's not set expectations that we never would have met ourselves in the early years of following Christ. For another and thus create division. But let's encourage and build one another up. We are always growing. I often say it this way, and if you can't look back, I don't know, pick, pick a number of years, if you have been following Christ for a number of years, some, some decades, some are just beginning. We're a body, a family, praise God. But if you've been following Christ for a number of years, maybe in that decades range, if you can't look back to your former three years ago, five years ago self and think, man, I was, I was, maybe I was an idiot. There's so much that I I thought I had down. I thought I had figured out. And and I'm not even sure if I knew what love was. What generosity looked like. What holiness was. What righteousness was. What listening to God's voice was. If you can't say something like that, you may not be growing. And I pray that I'll be saying the same thing about my... Ben today's self, 2018 Ben, in a number of years, Deo Valente. I want to be one that continues to grow, continues to mature, and hopefully continues to bear fruit. The Apostle Paul, one that would be probably held up pretty highly as one who was mature, effective, fruit-bearing, striving for holiness, had a lot figured out that if we could only rise up to be like Paul... And Paul continues to call the church again and again to growth. Ephesians 4:15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into Him who is the head, who is Christ. All of us, we are to grow up. This is being written to his beloved Ephesian church, one of the more mature churches at the time. To grow up, he calls them in every way. And then personally, he says in Philippians 3. He, he, he gives a model. This is later in his life. Right toward the end, he's imprisoned for Christ. And here's, here's still his testimony. He says, as he's writing, it's almost like this comes upon him. This is chapter 3. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. He's building them up. And he's writing, and he almost like pauses in the middle and says, not that I have come to know all of this. Not that I have come to know Christ fully. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Not that I am already perfect by any means, but I press on To make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's imprisoned. He's in chains. He ultimately will be executed in that place. And right to the end. So if some of you are thinking, I'm toward the end right if, if if my if my life was uh, the daylight it's well today i guess that it would it's it's 4:15 in the afternoon sun's about to set right to the end paul says i i am not done growing striving Looking toward Christ. There's always more. That upward call is always more, and I strive for it. And he, there's someone, he had no freedom to do much else but to sit, to read, to pray, to write. And some of you are in that season. By limitations of life, health, pain, your ministry can still be powerful the ministry of prayer, the growth up in Christ. The ministry of writing or sending encouragement, man, that can be powerful. So finish strong. There's an upward call of growth for every one of us, whether we are young and new shoots in Christ or whether we are further down the road. A healthy disciple of Christ is always growing and is always committed to growth. And this is truly, I believe, one of the powerful hallmarks of the Alliance movement begun by A.B. Simpson about 130 years ago. The commitment to a deeper life. The focus on growing deep roots in Christ. We are continually growing. We are progressively sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And we are never done learning. Check out last week's sermon if you missed it. So this is why we have life groups and growth groups. I know that can become a fuzzy line because in all things we are to grow but the intentionality to equipping within the growth groups, to digging in, to reaching deep, to being stretched. And so I encourage you to connect with Pastor Craig if you're interested in plugging in to a growth group and to digging in in 2018. Number three, they were planted, they were growing, and they were bearing fruit. Jesus promised that we would bear fruit. If we abide in Him. John 15.5 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. could probably dwell on that last phrase for a while. We are promised that in Christ, as we abide in Him, we will produce fruit. We will bear fruit. And I pray it is diverse fruit. According to the diversity of the gifts that God gives gives to us. And may we share with one another this fruit. Really, those should be synonymous. We could use I mean we could use both, bearing and sharing fruit, because the fruit is not for us, it's for others. Here's our conviction. Three more core convictions around this idea of fruit bearing. Each one is gifted to serve. We're convicted that we are a body and every one of us is gifted especially and specially to serve. All we have belongs to God. We are stewards. Everything that we have belongs to God. And we are simply to steward it, to care for it, to nurture it, to grow it, and to use it to bless. And another, healthy things grow and multiply. This is who God is. It's what He's always done. Healthy things grow and multiply. They produce fruit. Those are signs of health. And this seems to be what the early church truly believed. Again, let's read 44 and 45. All who believed, they were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Everything that they had, they believed God had entrusted to them to bless others. Radical generosity. And we thought, we've talked about this a couple different times. Okay, this is description of their generosity. This isn't prescription. That's most of Acts. It doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with it and say, Lord, where am I simply reading a story instead of saying, what are you asking of me too? Because here's a model of radical generosity of the followers of Christ and I don't see this in my life. That's the right way that we approach His Word without saying, well, I guess we got to do that too. And I'm just going to forward my paycheck to the elders of the church and let them decide what I need to live on. I'll be radical in my generosity or you'll become a cult. We are to give and to give freely and to give cheerfully, to pray. Paul, Paul teaches us to pray, ask the Spirit, hear His voice and give cheerfully what He calls us to give. I guarantee it will be sacrificial, but that can be a totally different number for any one of us. We're not striving for a number. We're striving for Jesus and His heart. Jesus said in Luke twelve forty-eight: Everyone to whom much is given of Him, much will be required. If you think you don't have much, and you can certainly compare yourself to others in this region or this area, you are wealthy. You are rich. You are living in abundance. Everyone. You didn't think about your food. Your belly is not empty unless you're choosing it to be. You chose your clothes. You chose your shoes. You walked to your faucet and turned on a lever that created drinkable water in that moment. If you wanted to, you bathed with hot water this morning. And on and on the list goes. To him who has been given much, much will be required. We are stewards. And it does our, include our money. And I exhort you, I encourage you to be generous with your money. But for some of us, writing a check is easy. And if we are to steward all that God has asked of us, we are to steward what we know, what He's allowed us to learn, the wisdom we've gained in years, skills and abilities, our time. Lord, all my time is yours. You've given me this day. How do you want me to use it? Our possessions, our provisions, our homes, our tables. On and on it goes. We are to bear fruit. So God gives, we bear fruit, spiritual fruit, and we share. 1 Peter four ten: As each one has received a gift, right? There's everyone is gifted to serve. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Of the diverse fruit that He's given. That's what enriches a people, a body, a community. Use it for others. The fruit's not for us. It's for others. This is truly fellowship. Fellowship is not just being together, hanging out together, having cookies or coffee after church. Though it can begin there. If your relationship with others are within the body of Christ or with a church is come late, leave early, you have very little chance of cultivating fellowship. Very little fellowship is happening now. You might be rubbing some shoulders with a loved one or child, but that's about it. More church happens out of these doors, after the benediction, as we linger, as we go to the restaurants, as we meet for coffee throughout the week, as we open up our homes and our tables throughout the week. That's where church takes place. This is corporate worship of our Lord. This is hopefully encouragement in hearing from God's Word and being stirred up toward love and good deeds. All important. But if this is, this is your picture of church, you're missing a critical element of true fellowship taking place. Comes with generosity. It comes with bearing fruit and sharing with one another. Hebrews ten twenty four. Oh, I already jumped to that. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The time is short. They only knew. But we want to live with that same urgency. The time is short. The day is coming near. What is your life? What is our life? Seize today. Today is the only day we're guaranteed. So begin by being present, then look for ways to pursue. Some of us are present and need to pursue, some of us are running out the door and never even present with one another. We encourage, we build up, and we shoulder. We're called by Paul in Galatians 6:2. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. This is fellowship. Bearing with one another, bearing burdens, encouraging, building up. It's what Christ did for us, He is our example. Philippians 2 1 through 5. I'll just jump to verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I left off verse 5 for some reason. Have this mind in Christ. This is Christ's attitude. Have this attitude. That's what He did. Serve like that. Love like that. Give like that. He's our model. He's our standard. But if you don't know how to do this, this bearing fruit piece within the body context, if you wonder about your gifts, your abilities, how to serve, where you could fit in where you could give more you can grab one of those cards that john mentioned you can put a name an email a phone number and simply on the back in the notes See, i know none of you are going to do this but i'm just going to belabor this point you could write something like how can i serve i can count on one hand in eight years how many times i've received that note or that email how can i serve what can i do where do you need help Now, you might be very aware of your specific giftings and your abilities and the ways that you've served in the past that have been edifying to others and encouraging to you. Praise God. We want to know that. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage that. We don't want to put round pegs in square holes and square pegs in round holes. No. But the humility that would come and say, how can I help? How can I serve? Is there a gap? Is there a hole? Now, that's tremendously scary because you might end up behind a computer clicking slides. A ministry where the only time you're noticed is when you make a mistake or forget or double click or, you know what I mean? Like, come on. (laughs) Praise God for the two of you that are faithfully serving in that role. Others certainly have carried that burden well. But a shout out to Mark and Josh. Thank you for that ministry. You might end up in a ministry that... Is totally not your desire. And I guess you will grow deeply. Now again, again, we want you to thrive. We want all of your specific gifts in the right place. Alright? Or email. Email Janine in the office. How can I help? What can I do? Ben talked about that, it's been nagging at me. In fact, yeah, do, I mean, do it now if you're convicted. But if this comes up again in your mind or your heart, then respond to that. Lean in. Build one another up. Be the body. Finally, number four. Okay, they are planted, they're growing, they're bearing and sharing the fruit that God is bearing in them. And finally, they're sowing seeds. They're witnesses to who Jesus was, to what he has done, and to what he has promised to do. They're giving testimony. That's seed sowing. Now, our bag of seed never runs out. Now Another image that Jesus uses of the seed is the Word of God. We are speaking the Word of God. His words, not ours. Testimony of His work, not ours. That's the scattering of seeds. And I'll tell you what, I was convicted. I preached on this. I was convicted that I was protecting that bag of seeds like it had a limit. And I'm looking for the best possible soil before I plant that seed. Because, you know, it's going to run out. And I want those seeds to grow and to sprout and to flourish and to multiply. I don't want to scatter seeds on dry soil or on the concrete. That seed never runs out. And God gave me this picture of the concrete. I was talking with one of our missionaries. And he said, you think the soil is hard in Redmond? Try Eastern Europe. He said, It feels like... There would need to be a jackhammer to hammer, hammer down to the three feet of concrete before you would get even to the clay hard pan. And then below that, if there's ever any nurtured soil, it's way down. And, and I woke up with this vision the next day, this picture of a seed sitting on top of that concrete and the earth shaking, the earthquake or whatever, and just cracking that soil. Or cracking that concrete, and the and the seed just dropping in, right down to the soil, in an instant. For God, nothing. For us up there with a chisel and a hammer, maybe decades or years of trying to chisel through to get that seed down. Our seed doesn't run out. The word of God doesn't run dry. It's up to the Spirit to break the hearts of the people that He is calling. May the word be ready to take root through our testimony, through our preaching, through our encouragement, in all the different ways that we are called to do that. Here's three more of our convictions that would get us to ten, believe it or not. Lost people matter to God, and He wants them saved. So much so that Jesus came and said specifically, this is why I came, to seek and to save the lost. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, truly i could have plugged that in probably anywhere <laughs> it's always but in this case we are called if we go in our own strength we may as well have a toothpick trying to scrape the concrete we must rely on the holy spirit he does the work we must listen to his voice as he sends and directs and finally here and this is last it's last on the alliance list it's last maybe for a reason faith takes risks in all of this, we get to a point where we may simply say, I, "I, I, I don't know, Lord. I'm going to take that risk because the potential of what you could do through that faith, I know, is powerful. And if you do something, you'll get all the glory. I get nothing. Praise God. Faith takes risk. And awe came upon every soul. Let's read verse 43 again. And this one has been jumping out to me the last few weeks. And awe came upon every soul. And then many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. See, I think that these people were just in, so in awe that God was who He promised to be. Jesus had done what He said He would do. He was fulfilling in their midst everything. They're just walking around kind of shaking their heads at times. I, I, can't, I can't believe this. This is real. This is life. This is everything. Awe came upon every soul. And they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, We know they were out witnessing and preaching, giving testimony because people are getting saved. They're hearing and understanding. The Spirit is at work and He's planting them in their midst. He's adding to their number. And it was all of them. Who is the they here? Got to go back to verse 41. Who is the they? Verse 42 begins, And they. And it describes their character, their attitude, and what they were doing. Who is the they? Verse 41 So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they... This is all of them. Every one of them. And why wait until now, and I should be wrapping this up, why wait until now to be saying, this is everyone? Because until now, every one of you has been nodding along. Oh yeah, this is the whole church. They're planted in community. They uh, like one another. They... They are committed to that. Okay, that makes sense. I get, I get that. Um, they are bearing fruit and share. Well, they're growing. growing. They're growing deep roots. I know we're supposed to grow. and They're bearing fruit and they're serving. I know we're supposed to do that. But sowing seeds. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you talking about evangelism? Nope, not me. Nope, that's the capital E evangelists. They're the equipped ones. They're the trained ones. What would I do? What would I say? I'll do all the other, and if I can write a check and get the evangelist out there, that's my work. Where is the asterisk in the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and preach to all nations. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Oh, asterisk. Hey, guys, it's actually, that piece is just for you. This last command, that one's just for you. Teach them everything else. There's no asterisk in the Great Commission. Now, there are clearly those who are gifted evangelists, apostles. You might know this kind of person. They sneeze on the person in front of them in the line at Starbucks. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And they have a conversation. They lead them to Christ. It's just spit evangelism power. Just unbelievable. And praise God for those gifts. And I'll ask you this. Have you asked for that gift? Have you prayed for it? I was just thinking about that. I I don't know if I ever have. I've asked God to help me be more effective. To help me know when to speak. To help me know when not to speak. To give me clear words. I mean, I've asked for so much related to the sharing of the gospel. To building relationships with lost. To seeing them with a heart and with eyes that Jesus did. But have I prayed, Jesus, if you would want to give the gift of evangelism to me, would you? And there's all sorts of reasons why to be hesitant to even pray that prayer. All 3,120, that was my homeschool math skills and cleverness that got me to that number. There were 120 in the upper room. 3,000 were saved. All of them began preaching, began witnessing, began giving testimony about who God was, what he had done, and what his promises were. Some were gifted evangelists. How can we end this? What's missing from this sermon? Don't answer that. I'll answer that. A timely ending. I have that written in my notes, so that means I knew it was going to go like this. What else is missing? It begins, it's at what I said at the beginning don't miss it. Don't miss this. If we walk out of these doors thinking, I, yep, I need to do more, then this is a failed sermon. You're back to the list. Now, if you're responding to conviction, that the living God with us as we have dwelled in His presence is saying, I am asking more of you. That's that's different. Then, well, yeah, you're right. I am falling short again. And this year, it's a new year. I'm going to do more. I am going to. No. No, let it be a result to who you are in Christ. Ask Him to continue to work in you for holiness, for love, for the growth that you need. And just say to him, Jesus, I'm willing. Lead me. Help me not miss your voice. I want to follow. Show me. Certainly they did much, but it was a response to who they were in Christ. The conviction that they, they collectively had in verse 37 they were cut to the heart. They heard the word of God and they were cut to the heart. And they, they didn't know what to do. They said, what, what, what should we do? Repent and be baptized. Trust. Follow. Worship. What must we do? I love that. Now God might be speaking specifically to each individual and, and, and there might be a good response. What must I do? But I love this. What must we do? We're in this together. What must we do? What if God speaks to us as a body, collectively, that we would have all in common? What must we do? As we respond in prayer and praise, let's be asking that question. Catherine, team, come come, be prepared to lead us. Where are the churches today that it is true Awe came upon every soul. Every soul. That can't be conjured, manufactured by anything. Holy Spirit, bring awe and wonder upon every soul. Characterize us like that. Use us like that. Send us like that. The Holy Spirit must do all of this work. He must be the one to make us like a greenhouse. He must be the one to help each one of us plant Grow, bear, sow. We must rely on Him. Or we, also, we end up in our own efforts and our own strength. He must do the work. We must invite Him. We must long for Him to do that work. And I wrote down three simple prayers. So would you join me in praying these, either from your heart. I'll say it twice, and if you want to say it out loud, even quietly, you can. It's not supposed to be some kind of chant or mantra or rallying cry, but it is a prayer from the heart. Holy Spirit, bring awe upon us. Create unity among us. Give favor to us. Keep that attitude and that that prayer as we sing these praises and prayers. As we come to the table and receive the communion meal. If you're a follower of Christ, this meal is for you. At any point, as we sing in these last few songs, you're welcome to come and receive. If that's new to you, come find Pastor John or me and we would love to walk through that with you. We have a chance to give as good stewards. That's why this is a... The giving part is now as a response to what God is doing and convicting and leading. We get to worship through our sacrificial gifts. And if you need prayer for anything specifically, please come. There's room here. We left this. We reserved this front pew for you. The most desirable of all pews. We left open for you to come. And if you would just come and sit, someone from our prayer team would just come and pray for, with you, for you, with you for someone else, whatever's on your heart. Let's be people of response to the Word of God. Cut to the heart, Lord. I pray these simple prayers again. Join me if you want. Holy Spirit, bring awe upon us, create unity among us, and give favor to us. Amen.